got Desmond Child, and we've got Bruce and Anna. Yeah. I can't read music, but I sure love to talk about it. Vital Master as well. Yes. This is the Songwriters Series Part 2. Hitmaker to the Stars, Desmond Child. The song on the Warrior soundtrack was called uh, Last of an Ancient Breed. That's it. And it was written specifically for the movie. And uh, Desmond Child and Rouge, we were the, the act that performed it. And that was really fun because it, it started giving me the idea that I could write to order. Not just write what was, you know, in my heart. And so that had, had served me very well. It's early in the morning when you wake me up. Bruce Sedano, 70s legendary songwriter, husband of the late Donna Summer. But right now, I don't think music has the focus that it had then. You know, there's many more things that distract us now. And, and uh, uh, so I think the role, you know, music was the center of the universe for those years, for a whole generation of people. Uh, it was the focal point, you know, and, and I, I don't think it's the focal point right now. Both men on a different path, but sharing the same passion for creating brilliant works. Music news you can use, plus exclusive record reviews, and so much more. This week on Rock of Nations, with Dave Kinchin. <laughs> Welcome in, everybody. We are back in action. Hey, now, as uh, one of my favorite uh, radio guys would say. <laughs> We're winding down 2020 We're, We here, are huh? winding down 2020, Vinyl Master Shane. And uh, first off, what a year. It's, you know... I great think year. for for it's a, for the show it's been a great year. For yeah. everything else, you know, but for the show it's been fantastic. Yeah, the and, show's uh, been keeping me alive, man. Yeah, man, me too. Like just <laughs> some fun chats, and of course we've got uh, part two of of uh, Desmond Child and uh, Bruce Adano, and even a taste of a brand new interview that we did with uh, Martin Page. And boy, was that an awesome chat or what? Yeah, he's Martin's basically part three of our songwriter series. Yeah, and uh, Martin has. I mean, he wrote practically so many. The 80s. Yeah, yeah, he Bernie, did. He worked with Bernie Toppin. Yep. He worked with uh, Robert Robertson. And, yep. He worked with uh, Starship. All kinds of mm -hmm. bands. Um, you may like or may not like some of the stuff he's done, but yeah, Martin is is history in the making and just a fantastic human being. Mm -hmm. One one of our favorite interviews. Yeah. ever. Yeah, and such a gentleman and some great. I mean, he had uh, in the House of Stone and Light his hit back in. Uh, right. in the early 90s, which was the first time I saw him, I, again, as a kid, middle school kid, I was watching VH1, you know, I don't know who, who my age was watching VH1, <laughs> I was so into it, and I just remembered, you know, his song, and uh, uh, he worked with Phil Collins on that album, and, and some other things, uh, and just a really cool guy, and, and yeah. for us to talk with him, it was like a, it was kind of a childhood dream come true, but it really was, you know? Yeah, he, uh, we, we really had a seriously... Uh... One of my favorite conversations yeah. since you uh, invited me to come on and and do this, and it's, he was um, so impressive with yeah. the, the not only his knowledge, 
but the, the people he's worked with. Yeah. Peter Gabriel, Robbie Robertson. Yeah. Daniel Lenoir, yeah. yeah. I mean, just to, uh, who's worked with you too and so many other people. And that great was just producer. one song. Yeah, it was just one song. Yeah, and and uh, you know, he talks about the the great feeling he got whenever somebody would record his work, and and uh, and you know, we talked with him about his new record, um, the the uh, poetry of collisions, uh, volume one, which is um, it's about 25, 26 tracks, yeah. and it's demos, and it and it goes through all these different sounds, and it's really really good. I mean. If you like um, the different textures of the 80s, new wave, some of the more bigger sounds, um, even some stuff that sounds like it could have been written for Tina Turner. I don't think it was, but it sounds like, you know, right. like some of her late 80s stuff. I mean, it's just great. You know, it, it, I love, you know, there's there's a lot of different feels. It, yeah. it, it'll take you back. And, um, yeah, he called us uh, from, uh, I believe, the Owl's Nest where, um, <laughs> where he records. And, you know, I saw a YouTube demo or a thing he did actually on Facebook. He showed, he did a, a video tour of his studio. Just a wall. A wall of analog. I mean, all of these vintage gear, you yeah. know. And uh, so just so cool. And That's and, when, when I went to Fresh Prince's house with Q one yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, it was like a museum. Yeah, that's of, Quincy for all you folks. Uh, that, yeah. One of our Philly hosts. Yeah, Quincy baby. Yeah. Uh, we um, here's my keys, by the way. <laughs> I'm, I'm moving them because they were getting in the way. I apologize. <laughs> okay. That's for you and the sound effects people that's to it. deal with. <laughs> no, but uh, it was he had like every synth and and or turntable and or setup because they were doing this blitz type album session, mm. and they had like 40 musicians in his house. Mm. And back in the garage. Wow. And the garage is like most people's houses. Mm -hmm. And every room, there was a different thing going on. That was mind-blowing, dude. That's amazing, It, it was so cool seeing yeah. all that vintage equipment. And, yeah, yeah. And he was like showing me stuff. And uh, it was, wow, dude. Yeah. He did a little Peter Piper mix for man. us on camera. Like live as it's happening. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. That was like. You gotta be kidding me! Yeah, it's a legend, you know, live in front of you, right? And there. then my it's favorite so cool. part was I almost fell in a swimming pool. Oh jeez! So. <laughs> <laughs> With the camera. With the camera. Which means I would be on the streets right, right now. Yeah. And and no longer working. Oh jeez! Yeah, that, that wouldn't be good. Oh my but god! But I, I, we were walking. I was walking backwards, following Quincy and yeah, and uh, Prince out. <laughs> Jazzy yeah. Jeff, yeah. not Prince. Prince is somebody else. Right. Right. Uh, it's been a long day. Anyway, yeah. uh, I'm walking backwards shooting video of them coming towards me, mm -hmm. and we're rounding a corner, and I, apparently I walked out onto the pool cover. Almost made a splash. Yeah. And he was like, no, no. And, so oh, I, yeah. and I quick looked down, and I'm like, it's sagging. Back. Oh, oh <laughs> and there's water terrifying. like starting to, and he like quick pulled my arm. Wow. And uh, I still have the I still have the video. Oh my god, <laughs> that's a keeper, folks. That's a keeper. Well, yeah, we'll there you go. Have a great night and take care. I'll see you later. <laughs> now, it was like one of those deals, but yeah, yeah. But it's just a wall of stuff. And yeah, Martin, same thing. It, yeah, yeah. They got these are guys that love mm -hmm. making music, mm -hmm. and, and and they're just they're always inspired a lot, like Steve Kilby, a lot like. Um, Steve Hackett, a lot of like, all these people who just, they, they never stop. You know, they're always creating and they love sharing that with the world, which to yeah. me is, is so fun. And, and, and it's, oh, it's always great for us. To, and again, like you said, one of my favorite chats, I mean, I think our, I think one of our best this year, you know, and I think what's so cool is it's always nice to get inside of where an artist was at that point in time. Yeah. And Martin really took us back for so many of those tracks, uh, 
you know, through the years uh, and, and to see where he was at that point in time, just so cool, you know? Yeah. Well, let's give folks just a little bit of a, a taste of uh, that chat. Martin Page talking with us uh, just a few days ago, really. Yes. Uh, is what it feels like. And uh, good stuff. Martin, uh, welcome in. And by the way, in honor of you, I, I just finished a spot of tea. I think the last time we talked, you told me how you are such a uh, and uh, you appreciate a good cup of tea, and, and uh, I, I do as well. I think we're all three of us. <laughs> uh, I, I do. I do remember the last time we spoke that I think I was drinking a pint or a barrel of tea at that time. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I am a, I am a tea boy um, in the sense that if, even before I start writing songs, if I don't have a cup of tea, something doesn't feel right. <laughs> I know that feeling. Absolutely. I know that feeling. Oh, I, I like tea better than coffee, too. I, that's all I drink is tea, so. Yeah. Well, I, te I tell you what, Shane, if I drink coffee, my songs are much faster. If I drink tea, they're a little bit slower. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, uh, Martin, you, you uh, tell us about this record, uh, The Poetry Collisions. I think you said it's uh, 26 or so demos that you've been playing uh, on your on, on your show, and there's just so many different sounds and unique uh, textures to it. How did this all come about? Well, you know, I, I think uh, when I really think about it, uh, when I grew up as a kid, you know, uh, Pete Townsend of The Who, he started releasing uh, later in The Who's career a lot of demos called Scoop. I think Scoop won in various versions. I thought that's a, a fantastic idea. But then um, when I started uh, my little songwriters podcast radio show, um, from here, the Owl's Nest, uh, through the year. Um, a, lot of the, a lot of people that heard the show said, oh, we'd love to get that song. And really it was me, me going back into the archives and playing demos that are, even I'd forgotten. And um, in the early years, when you're a younger writer, you're, you're full of being, you're very precious and you, you guard your songs. But as you get, get on, you sort of li listen back to demos and you think, oh, they've got something special. So really it was a, a mixture of the, the uh, supporters that heard the radio show um, saying to me, we, you know, why don't you put, an, put out an album? So they pushed me a little bit. And as the year went on, I thought, this is qu quite a great idea. So um, a title came into my head, The Poetry of Collisions, because um, all the songs uh, on this record are all from different styles, because... You know, right from the 80s onwards, I was writing for lots of other different people besides myself. So I saw it as a collision of styles, and um, I mm. felt quite brave that I was putting out cassette demos and songs that I'd written for Earth, Wind & Fire, and I only had versions of them on cassettes. So uh, it, it, the big picture is um, I can remember in the past that uh, Pete Townsend had done it with The Who, and after doing my radio show and discovering some of these songs from the past, I thought this would be a very cool idea. And uh, that's where it came from. And it became a double album because all the songs I played throughout the year sort of worked out to 26 songs sort of thing. And uh, it was a delight to put together. And I think at a, at a later age in my career, I think we're, we're braver than we, we are when we're younger. So it was really um, started from doing my own little podcast here. Okay, wonderful. Uh, was it? Uh, did you get the feeling? Uh, you know, when you look back on on those uh, those demos, is it kind of like you know go, talking to an old friend again? You know, I mean, so many artists talk about how their songs yeah. feel like uh, it's a member of the family. Yeah, it's it's, it's a really interesting thing. Um, I remember reading that Paul McCartney was talking about you know listening back to the early Beatles records and demos and saying you know I can listen to them now and really appreciate them. And that's what happened to me. Um, I started to appreciate the energy, the naive spirit, 
um, that I had in all these different eras. And I could see the the novice sort of growing as a songwriter. So they are your babies. There's no doubt about it. Um, and I think as you get older and you, as I said before, the word precious seems to go out of the picture and you look back on some of these demos and you, and you even say to yourself, okay, that, that's really good. Um, my goodness, I can see what people saw in that, which I, I didn't see possibly when I was younger. And I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so um, letting demos be heard was not my thing. Um, so, but after letting go of them after all these years and, and having to look into the archives and finding songs that I actually literally had a vague memory of but couldn't remember that I'd re- what they sounded like. And um, I, I sort of impressed myself. I was listening to my old songs going, God, he's better than I am now. So, um, <laughs> where did I lose it? Where did I lose it? Uh, so it was, it, it was, it was a bit of a thrill, and and um, it felt the right time, really, uh, Dave and Sharon. It felt the right time to do something like this, and it's been a, a great joy because I think, in a way, like you say, they become your friends over the years, and uh, I like people. Sure. You know, some of these some of these songs were recorded by very big artists so to hear the other versions of them i think is 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 great for people to hear when when you listen to those martin is it kind of like going back to that old saying that your first instinct is usually your gut instinct and that's usually the right instinct you do you feel like you get that from from some of those songs when you hear them absolutely shane that's a very very good point you know um i think the instinct and the gut um, feeling that's driving you through, uh, you know, the, all these uh, demos uh, are, are very evident in these demos. And I, I, I put it out as a download, so it was um, it wasn't released on a CD. But I did put up on my website on the Facebook um, a kind of liner notes, um, a PDF where you could read about everything about the demos. And uh, that that was important to me because I remember with Pete Townsend. He would say, you know, these are the microphones I used. This was the keyboards. This was the inspiration. I sang this song with a cold. That's why I sound nasal. It was on an eight track. This is a cassette. This is a 24 track. This is Pro Tools. And so it was great to, to remember all those things. And I luckily, luckily, I could still remember a lot of how these uh, demos were, were recorded. But it did strike me, as you say, Shane, you, li- you listen back again with, with new ears and all the rough edges that you might have been scared of when you first did the demo because you see it as a demonstration of what the record might be you actually like you know i got i got i got off on hearing how some of these um early recordings had such a vitality and i agree with you shane the first instinct you know before you start covering things up with professional ideas is sometimes really really quite special does it take you back to, um, like, uh, I think I remember a video tour of your studio, and I was amazed at um, all of the vintage equipment you have. I mean, some of the analog recording and processors and everything. And I wonder, in, in listening, listening back to these demos, does it kind of take you back to a different time where, you know, the technology was different and, and uh, like, you know, some of those uh, maybe early keyboards came out for the first time? What was it like kind of revisiting knowing what you used at the time yeah. to produce it all? Yeah, it, it actually, that's, a, again, a great point, Dave. I'm, I remember when I did this little video to let people see what I had. I remember that you, you wrote to me on that, and uh, and I think you, you spotted that everything really was still very, very vintage. Even the way I, I, I always, when I record now, I still go through analog yep. processes before I have to go to Pro Tools. But 
Yes, I was speaking to my manager about this recently that I'm, I still enjoy and prefer this, the sound of analog tape. I still, I, it's a luxury to use digital recording because you can do anything and everything is automated and uh, the day you come back to mix all the moves you've done are there. But I still think sound-wise, analog is incredibly special. And in fact, on my on this uh, this album, there's two demos um, that I did in the 80s, a song called Magnetic for Earth, Wind & Fire and Animal Instinct for the Commodores. And the demos I had to take from a cassette. And <laughs> I preferred the sound of the cassette to like, <laughs> you know, 48 tracks of digital. I must admit, there's something about analog and vintage gear because it's almost like chaos um, in, in the making. There's such a compression on tape. It's warm. Um, it distorts a little bit, and, and it colors. It, and in my prime, in my 80s and 90s when I was recording, I really understood what, what tape did to the sound. And you felt like you could really push it. It was like pushing your hand into a warm pillow or into your chest. But with digital, it's, it's so on and so mathematical that it's transparent. And so it's it's always been hard for me since those years and it's a good point. Putting out Poetry of Collisions has made me still say to my manager, you know, I still prefer the way some of these demos sound. And if I was to record these again, um, I might do them technically better, but I don't think I would get the earth and the fog and the blood of what some of these demos uh, have because they, they hit tape, they hit tubes in um, early vintage gear. And I'm determined still, as you say, uh, Dave, I've still got Jupiter 8s, I've still got Profits. I've still got uh, very uh, all the analog amplifiers, and uh, I still feel, you know, I would uh, I'll go to my grave saying that the analog tape does sound um, sonically more rewarding than uh, than digital recording. Yeah. Do you think that's why people have gone back and embraced vinyl in the last ten yeah. years? Yeah, I I do. You know, it's interesting. Shane, because my, you know, my, my drummer, um, who was in my Q-Phil days and played with me in House of Stone and Light, he's got children and his kids still go, you know, go out and buy the Led Zeppelin records and go to Amoeba and buy vinyl records. And they're amazed. They put these records on, you know, even by the Beatles and they stand back and they, it's not only the joy of putting a needle onto vinyl and it being tactile, is that they get knocked out with the sonics and the bass and the full dimension, the full dimension of sound. You know, I could go on for hours about this, and I don't want to bore you guys, but, um, you know, we've been, the young kids miss a lot now because they're instantly on to very, very loud, compressed uh, brick wall uh, tracks that are played on iTunes. And, and so everything is mixed for, an eye, for a phone. And that's a shame. And whenever you see a, a, a kid or a, you hear a vinyl record, say, by Todd Rundgren, by Genesis, by Led Zeppelin. They sit back in a room hearing the um, dynamics of it, and they can hear it. So I feel a little bit sad that a lot of the younger uh, kids don't get a chance to hear what we felt, and I'm sure you did as well, in the 70s growing up. You, you started to really get in love with Steely Dan. You got in, in love yeah. with great re great recordings. You got in love. You fell in love with Boss Gags and uh, Middleman, and then Peter Gable doing so. And and you 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 you, you set your hi-fi up, you, and you make the speakers right. You get your EQ right, and you have friends across, and you sit sit in a room and just play the album with the lights down low, and get lost in listening to a Joni Mitchell record. But now it feels like it's all press the button 
whammo, you know, if it doesn't hit me in two seconds and make my nose bleed, <laughs> it's not good. So, <laughs> I didn't yeah. get a nosebleed. That's not a hit. So uh, if you, <laughs> I, I, I do feel that there's we've lost a little bit of that um, sensibility. And, you know, it's 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 fun. it was fun to put the poetry collisions out and not take that too serious. I didn't want to overcompress. I didn't want to make everything too loud. In fact, you know, what? The, the, that's the thing about this album. All the levels are, are all over the place because I basically transferred everything from the way we saw it in the old days. You know, if you were recording a demo to a cassette, if it's touched red, you left it there. And so I was determined to not, um, and you get the chance to do that, to flatten out everything and make it sound um, all level. So uh, on this record, it's a bit like the old days where one's loud, one's not, one you have to lean into, one you actually have to touch the volume, uh, you know, control. Um, so it's it was lovely for that. And, uh, and as Shane was mentioning, you know, yes, I did have a feeling like um, those past recordings sonically, and I think young people, um, when they discover vinyl records, it's um, it's a bit of a sensation, you know. It's a bit, it's a bit special. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is, is there a, is there a track that takes you back? Specific, like, is there one that stands out um, more than the others in terms of a specific moment, a specific time uh, when you composed it? You know, um, every every track on this. Uh, volume one, because there, are, I, I could probably do about seven volumes of this because I wrote so much. But yeah, there's, um, I, I get moved by most of them. I have sprinkled the album with some new songs because I was writing at the time I was doing the radio shows, and I thought, well, let's just, let's just show some people what it was like when a song appeared around the demos at the same time. But I think Magnetic by that I wrote on the Fostex eight track for Earth, Wind, and Fire. And it was um, their first single, Electric Nation. And I remember doing that on a Fostex 8 track that I bought at Adray's and put in my manager's office. I'd only been in L.A. for about a couple of weeks. That takes me right back because all I had to work with was, was, was a Jupiter 8 keyboard, uh, um, a little microphone and a Fostex uh, setup. That's how I really hear that demo and I really know what it was like to, to do that. Good Heart that I wrote to Starship and they, they, they released as a single. I do remember that because my voice was very, I'd hit this place in my career when my voice could hit, was so high. I could re, you know, now if I listen to it and try to emulate it, again, I have a nosebleed. I can't quite do it because as you get older, um, your octaves and your voice, they move down into a richer place. So Good Heart, that hits me. And also a song called um, um, Who's Going to Take You Home Tonight that I wrote for Tom Jones. That also I can remember a very recording that demo and then Tom Jones coming to my house and saying, uh, let's work out my key. And uh, I can remember that, that demo very well because I've sped it up a little bit to make it very commercial. And I was – and again – we talk about vintage equipment, so when I hear these demos, I can remember that I was using an Oberheim synthesizer. Um, I was using a Lindrum uh, uh, drum machine. So, yeah, every every single one of them. But I'd probably say that – and, in, in fact, one that really sticks in my mind is Animal Instinct for, for the Commodores because that, again, was a, a eight-track Fostex quarter-inch demo. Um, and I remember that I used my Casio 202 – um, keyboard on that and that's a very very cheap keyboard that I just brought across from England the only synthesizer I had when synthesizers were just beginning to come out and I'd used that uh, Cassia tone on Ghostbusters with Ray Parker a week before 
So wow. um, the, oh, wow. the sounds, you, yeah, the sounds you hear on Ghostbusters, which I played, were you hear on Animal Instinct, and uh, these little noises like um, 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 all these strange kind of uh, new age sounds were made by this little Casio 202 um, keyboard. And so, yes, it, it it was thrilling for me in a way. Um, I was saying to my manager today, Diane, that um, I've enjoyed putting this record out. Uh, as, as much as anything I've ever done because it felt very much like a, uh, I was in the playground um, letting a lot of uh, fun things happen and letting things collide letting stars collide and not thinking too too much um, about being perfect but just letting the, the uh, instinct take over Just an amazing snippet from yep. Martin Page and we were really excited and we can't wait for you to hear the whole Whole interview. Yeah, we talked uh, to him next for, week. Yeah, we talked to him for uh, an, an hour and twenty minutes or something, and and <laughs> I think he even said we could go for like three hours. And I, I was glued to every single word, and and he just he's such a personable just gentleman, nicest, too. Nice yes. fella. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, really enjoyed. Uh, there was one point we got onto the Blue Nile. Yeah. And uh, he's he works pretty extensively with some of the guys from Blue Nile. Yeah. He works with. Uh, some of the guys that were in Tears for Fears. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's a dream job, man. It's, yeah. it's just a dream dream life for, for a musician. Yeah, and I think just the, the world of, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tight-knit songwriter, yeah. songwriter's world. And, <laughs> you know, to think that he's worked with, I mean, Bernie Taupin, and like, you know, we always think of Bernie and Elton John as a unit, yeah. and they are. Exclusive. But, exclusive, but they've worked together on so many other projects, which I didn't even know that before he was telling us that. Yeah. It was just like, wow, you know? And, I mean, you're, he's, he's, it's royalty working with royalty, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's so cool. Um, but, I, I think uh, yeah. just for three of his songs, like uh, King of Wishful Thinking, yeah. These Dreams, mm -hmm. and We Built the City, yep. he probably never had to work again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's set, I'm sure, yeah. Because those songs were pretty much ubiquitous like, with the 80s yeah massive and hits. the times that they came out they were all straight to number one mm -hmm. and uh but he he's done a lot of other stuff and he you feel going back really early too that's going way yeah, back you feel yeah. uh is how he started mm -hmm. but the most amazing thing is is he likes to grow yes and he he's always trying to learn and always trying to become uh, the best at whatever he's working on. Mm -hmm. Martin really learned a lot from working with Robbie Robertson mm -hmm. and and vice versa. Uh, and he, he did a song with, with Robbie, and it took quite a while to do the song. Yeah, and this, yeah. I found this story absolutely fascinating. It was amazing, man. And, and the song's called Fallen Angel. It was on Robbie's first solo album. Mm -hmm. And Robbie liked working with him so much that uh, his next album, Storyville, yeah. Martin produced it. That's so awesome. Man. So, uh, if you're a fan of, of Robbie Robertson, mm -hmm. and I am... And that's a great record, too. I mean, that, that whole album... The guys from U2 are on that record, too. You yeah. know? I mean, it's like, it's basically U2 and Robbie, and it's 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 just a special, like, yeah. special combination of talent. It's so it's so well-produced, and... Um, they hold up in Daniel's mm -hmm. Desert Sessions yeah. studio, and they just went to town, and... Yeah. It was so good, yeah. Absolutely. So we can't wait to share this. It's yeah, we're pumped, man. I, I've been, you know, I was going back playing it all week and just thinking, man, this is <laughs> such a fun chat, you know. And, and it was great. The um, songwriter series has really, really uh, been a blast. It's been a blast. We yeah, kind of snuck know? this in here. We did. We on just the way, it, on the way out of the year. Yeah, yep. and uh, it was a great idea. And 
Yeah, it was, and these folks were just uh, available at the right time too, which was yeah. you know we 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 had uh, you know um, Desmond Child, of course, uh, who we talked to about some election stuff going in, and then we just. I had him hang on the phone. He, he hung on the phone for, what, an hour, I think, at <laughs> yeah. least. It was great. And then, of course, Bruce Sedano and, and I got some other folks. Bruce who, was the same? Yeah, yeah. It's super, you know, great guys. And, and uh, you know, on this show, they get a little bit more into the New York era, yeah. uh, as I recall. Uh, they did a little bit in the last one, but we get a little <laughs> bit more into that. And we love that stuff. And we love that, that era and that sound, you know. I read a great article about Bruce. Well, it was about Donna mm. uh, recording Love to Love You, Baby. Mm. And... Uh, Bruce is kind of in the story because uh, the article interviewed uh, Giorgio Moroder, mm. uh, the whiz kid German producer. He was no longer a kid at that point, but mm. everything he touched with his, his label Oasis Records, mm -hmm. uh, his first song was Love to Love You Baby that broke down a summer in, yeah. in the U.S. It was playing in every disco mm. in the 70s. Bruce uh, and Donna married in eighty. But they were dating at the time, mm -hmm. and uh, Donna had to come into the studio to sing the song. And if you've never heard the song, uh, Jay Delisha actually talked about this on Twitter yeah. the other night. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's a very difficult song to listen to if you're in the car with, like, your parents. In her case, right. it was her dad. Mm -hmm. And um, Donna went in the studio. They did a four-minute version of the track, mm. and she proceeded to have to moan. The song is a lot of very yeah. sexual... References. Yeah, you know. cat-like yeah. moans in the song, mm -hmm. uh, almost as if she is in the act. Right. And Giorgio kept pushing her. They got in a huge fight. Mm. They eventually, she said, I don't think this song's for me. It's a great article. It, it's in the quietest. Uh, mm. But Bruce uh, was witness to all this stuff, you yeah. know. And, what a and thing to witness, yeah. She ended up having to go into the studio. He kicked everybody out of the studio. <laughs> <laughs> And they did a, they, and the, you, there was some guy in the U.S., I can't remember, executive, that he played the song at a party that he was having at his house. And mm. it was such a big hit. They kept playing it. And he talked to Giorgio and said, you got to make a 20-minute version of the song. This song can't end. This right. is like people are going nuts. The song's an experience. It, it's like, an experience. Like and, experience. And everybody, yeah. and it's just such a great read. Yeah. And they, they went back and went back in the studio and did a 16-minute version. Mm. and But she had to do it by herself. Wow. Nobody in the studio except mm -hmm. for Giorgio. Mm -hmm. Lucky guy. Yeah. And uh, she recorded the track. And what a track it is. Yeah, what a thing to uh, witness while you're producing, <laughs> um, for sure. And, uh, yeah, just a totally legendary track. And, and it's one of those, it, you know... That era, it was perfect for that era with the musical elements that went into it, too. Because right. I can't imagine that song done in any other style of music. I mean, no. there's probably other... Yeah, I can, you know, there's not. Like, there's no other way to really cover that, yeah. I don't think, you know? But that track um, made her a superstar. Yeah. And, and Donna and Bruce's life yeah. were never the same after that. Yep, yeah. That of course, was... what followed was Bad mm -hmm. Girls. And yep. The whole, that that whole record, than... yeah. That bigger that thing was bigger than sliced bread. Yeah, that was and, her Sergeant Pepper's. I mean, in a sense, I mean, you know, it's such just, an amazing record. It is, yeah, it's so well produced, and, and of course, and, and I'm glad, you know, we we had, you had brought up Giorgio because, I mean, you know, for Bruce to talk about, he he talked at length about working with uh, Giorgio, and it was just it was awesome. I mean, it was just like yeah. the hairs. I had goosebumps, you know, yeah, listening to him uh, describe those, you know, the the work they did together, you know. You feel like you're in the studio with with these people, and right, 
And Bruce is making some incredible music, mm -hmm. and we, we, we're sharing you some clips of some of his songs. Yeah, that album, Spirals Volume 2, Time and the Space in Between. Yeah, it, it kind of reminded me of like a Nils Lofgren kind of sound. He's got a great yeah, voice. Yeah, right? Like very Heartlandish kind of, uh, you know, sort of blue-collar Heartland rockish, I think, a little bit, you yeah. know? With some just a chugging guitar kind of, you know? I wasn't aware... But Desmond sang as good as Desmond mm -hmm. sings, oh, too. Yeah. I was blown away at the concert thing mm -hmm. that they sent us. Desmond Child Live, yeah. and He's awesome, yeah. It's amazing. Martin's the same way. These guys all have pipes. They mm -hmm. all have the ability to do this stuff. Yeah. They chose songwriting. But they're just, they're good at everything. Yeah. It's just amazing yeah. to me. Yeah, with the Desmond Child Live, I mean, it was awesome just hearing, um, you know, um, living on a prayer, and uh, I was made for loving you. All these hits, as he sang them, and it was different. It had a, yeah. a different feel. Um, I first heard his voice. There was this project called The Dudes of Wrath, which was uh, they did a song called Shocker on the um, uh, the West Craven soundtrack. It was uh, yeah. I think '89, and he and I Paul Stanley, that. yeah, they were trading vocals on that, <laughs> and it was amazing because like at first they sounded so similar. Because they both had these powerful voices in the 80s. And I said, which one's Paul and which one's Desmond? Because they like one, they each sang like a stanza. That's what was going on with the concert, yeah. too. Is that, yeah. Uh, I was like, is that him? Right. Because it, it sounded almost it, like Bon Jovi. Yeah. It almost it, sounded like he's like a chameleon. Yeah, yeah. It blended so well. It blended yeah. so well. Mm -hmm. yeah. But uh, real treat. You're going to really dig yeah. uh, the, the Bruce clips. And Bruce... Uh, is really outdoing himself, and this is a very political record. Mm -hmm. it, it's it, it's it's definitely a record for turbulent times, which this year has been very. Yep, yeah. I mean, this if there's any time for it, now is now is definitely it. Yeah. Um, some great messages there, and he, he talks about just coming together. You know, we gotta come together. I mean, you know, or else the whole thing falls down. You know. Yep. But uh, he does a great job with that. Uh, so what do you say we uh, we hit a little bit of news, and then we'll go right into. Uh, Mr. Desmond Child. Yes. The time has come for news. News, Dave. Yeah. So many different things. Uh, so much happening. Going on. We can't even keep track of all of it. I know. It's and it's it, and, and it keeps us going. You know, for it keeps us going. Such through. a messed up year. Mm -hmm. this, this, this. There's really been a lot of music news. Yeah. Uh, the first. I mean, we can talk about. Uh, Chris Cornell's daughter. Yes. Oh, dude, this this touched me. Wow. This was so moving. I mean, she was wonderful. She has such a wonderful voice. I don't want to give the story away, but no, I was no. just oh, I was so moved, you know. And yeah. I and I'm pulling for her. We all are. The whole family, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's uh I don't know if you guys have seen uh she she covered Pearl Jam's Black with mm -hmm. a trio of musicians recently. Uh, for Lollapalooza 2020, which was done online. She now has done her first public appearance, uh, I mean, first public performance for a founder's uh, benefit. Mm. And she covered Alice in Chains' Black Gives Way to Blue, which mm. is an amazing song it's from Alice in Chains. Yeah. Uh, one of Lane's finest moments. And uh, she really... Um, she really delivered. She did, yeah. And uh, it was like a who's who of um, artists that that were uh, performing the several hour tribute. It was uh, Alice in Chains was the theme this this, mm -hmm. this time around. Everybody from Lane's 
uh, not Lane Staley, but um, Corey Taylor. Corey Taylor, Dave Navarro, Taylor Hawkins, mm-hmm. uh, members of Pearl Jam. Sammy Hagar. Sammy think, Hagar yeah. was there. Uh, uh, just a plethora of artists. It's so uh, good. It was so good. Switching up and covering uh, Allison Chain songs, and Jerry was involved, mm-hmm. and just just absolutely amazing. Yeah. And she she was the moment uh, for me that just stole the the night. Mm-hmm. The whole thing's online. It's like a two and a half hour uh, clip. That you can watch on YouTube. You can also just search it up. Uh, Consequence of Sound uh, wrote a really, really nice article. Yeah, really good piece about it. Uh, pretty much re- reviewing uh, what what had happened. Um, but Lily said in a statement, uh, "quote These guys are and always have been my family, and I feel so lucky to be honoring them alongside so many other amazing artists. I'm singing a song that is super meaningful to me." Yeah. And uh, she recently just launched a new uh, Instagram television series on mental health called Mind Wide Open that premiered in July. Mm. I don't know if you... That, that kind of popped up. Yeah. Uh, we didn't talk about it then, but they, it, it premiered on his birthday. Yeah, I saw a brief thing on that. But... And uh, the engaging program has since featured interviews with Eddie Vedder and Duff McKagan. Uh, both of those guys were also involved in this concert. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, she also goes on to say in the article, as someone who has suffered trauma and loss as well as struggle with anxiety and depression, I know how important it is to have a space to talk openly and without shame about these subjects. Um, she's just kicking butt. Yeah, and God bless her for it. I mean, she she's going to change and is changing so many lives. I mean, for her, for, she was, she's what, 15 now? And well, Lily's or, older. She's older. You're right. I'm there's sorry, Lily older. and Tony. That's and right, actually, yeah. uh, Tony was the one that covered Pearl Jam's That's Black. That's right, yeah. And she also did a killer version of Hunger Strike. Right. She's the youngest. And Lily is... Um, a little bit older. A little bit older. And she was the one that did Alice in Chains. But so for, just to clarify yeah, that. Yeah. But And, and for the loss that, that they suffered, I mean, you know, it... it they had to be at their lowest point imaginable and and to come back and and be able to be so courageous to support others and raise awareness over mental health issues and 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 dispel break away the stigma you know yeah which we need to do especially now you know i mean especially with everything going on i mean god bless them hats off to them for for to her for what she's doing yeah the Allison Chain's founder uh, award ceremony uh, definitely required viewing if you're mm-hmm. a rock and roll fan. Yeah. It uh, brings everything together. Yeah. And it was for a good cause. And um, produced really well, too. I saw the clips amazing. I saw. Yeah, yeah. it's great, man. I mean, it made you feel like you were at a show. Yeah. You know, and, and there's a delicate way of doing that now where, you know, because it's going to be a while and, you know, until we go back to shows, but there, yeah. there's a delicate way, I think, of producing these shows where. You still kind of feel like that old feeling of a concert, you know. And I yep. think they did a really nice job with that. Yeah, I uh, I was a little bummed with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that they didn't get to perform. Yeah, uh, that really kind of bothered me a little. Mm. It was still really well done. Uh, there were some amazing tributes, and some really great bands got inducted this year. Mm. You know, everybody from Depeche Mode to yeah. to Nine Inch Nails, and who knew? That Billy Gibbons was easy top is a huge Depeche Mode fan. Yeah, who would have thought, right? He was That's uh, about as different as he was get. like one of the Keystone interviews in the Depeche Mode. Yeah, yeah. and he just raved about him. And it was like, and I, 
going back to think about this, actually, uh, Afterburner and Rhythmine were both electronic-based albums. So Billy yeah, was yeah. Billy was definitely taken by that that sound. Yeah, you know, he was fascinated with it. Yeah, they, they really did work that in. That was one of my Afterburner. I really liked too. I was re- listening to it a little bit more earlier this year, and I I really got into it. But uh, yeah, no, that connection makes sense now. Yeah, Sleeping Bag. I remember that song, mm-hmm. Velcro Fly. Yep. <laughs> they were, they were, they were freaking huge. <laughs> yeah. But I never had a Velcro Fly. Did you? No. Um. No. Just shoes. Just shoes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Just yeah. Velcro shoes. <laughs> but uh, definitely check out Lily Cornell's uh, Lily Cornell Silver's cover of, of Black Gives Way to Blue, and uh, I always forget she's half. She's a half sister mm-hmm. to to Tony. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. But anyway, check it out. Yeah, it's worth it, man. Absolutely. That was pretty much my first news event, Diamond yeah, Dave. Absolutely. Got this other. Can I throw this one story in? Do you mind? Yeah. Oh, uh, oh go ahead. You, you. gotta trim this up. Oh, what's yeah, that? You, oh, no, you no, no, no. You're good. Sorry. Do it, baby. Sorry. Cool. You're editing all this stuff anyway, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then we got this. Yeah. Um, Neil Sean uh, covers the Beatles, Prince, and Hendrix on um, a new solo album. Huh. This is really cool. He's been busy. You know, he was reassembling Journey uh, after uh, Steve Smith and Ross Valerie were let go from the band. He he brought back Randy Jackson and some other people, and they were working on some stuff. But So I was looking forward to really kind of learning more about what, what the new Journey is going to be like. But uh, he, he Neil was busy with some solo work, and he's yeah. always noodling on a guitar, and he's got a hundred... He actually said on Twitter, he's like he was moving about 300 guitars. He still has another 300 that he's moving, I think, to a new location. Amazing. He's got about like 600-something guitars. But he's always noodling and jamming, and so he here he was recording uh, ultimateclassicrock.com with this one. Journey guitarist Neil Sean has unveiled unveiled the track listing for his upcoming solo album Universe, and it features many notable classic rock covers, renditions of the Beatles' Hey Jude, Jimi Hendrix's Voodoo Child, and Stevie Wonder's I Believe are among the songs on the LP. He also covers Prince's iconic Purple Rain, and uh, there's a clip that we're going to have to link to online. Uh, Universe isn't entirely made up of covers, however, uh, as original material and classic Journey songs also make up the album. There's a quote here from him on Twitter. Neil said, It's some beautiful original healing music for healing times, uh, adding that the musical style sounds like symphonic classical blues mixed with R&B and uh, R&B soul hard rock fusion. So that's going to be really cool. So is he he singing on these tracks, or is he just Uh, instrumental? Looks like he, uh, it looks like a mixture because he does do some singing. He actually had a song back, he had a, a solo album back in the 80s that was really good where he sings on it. I've never heard him sing. Uh, yeah, and Cheryl, he actually did a song where Cheryl Crow was, was doing backgrounds with him, uh, oh, wow. back in the 80s. Yeah, I'll have to play uh, some of that for you, but uh, yeah, I think did uh, he sing on HSAS on that? No, he just played he guitar, just played. yeah, yeah, Sammy, yeah, Sammy did Sammy that. only, yep, he was Sammy was the only singer yeah. on that, yeah. One of my I favorite that. records, by the way. I remember that great, record quite a bit. That is an underrated record. <laughs> you do love that record. I found it on vinyl. I was so happy. Yeah, I mean, I was or did you, you find yeah. it for no, me? We, no, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah we, we were. We were fighting I together. ran that yeah. right over to you. You did. Thank like, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you hooked me up, dude. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, the, the LP will be the ninth, ninth solo release of uh, Sean's career. Following 2015's Vortex, the project has been in the works for several years. So, yeah, this is going to be really cool. So... Something in the Heart, The Eye of God, The Universe, uh, Voodoo Child, uh, Third Stone from the Sun, Purple Rain, She's For Real, 
what has become lights, uh, which I think might be a journey wow. cover, maybe. Oh, it is. Uh, yeah, it is. Yep. When the lights yes, yeah, yeah. go down. So that'd be great. I always love when um, artists take another. When they do it. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's all right. Shit, the Phantom Master, soothing vocals, ladies and gentlemen of the Quiet Storm. Hey, now. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, so that's going to be really cool. It's always yeah. nice when an artist takes another stab at their, um, you know, their classic uh, track. Uh, yeah. You know, so, yeah. Well, I... I have two record releases. We'll do those later. Okay. And records after Bruce. Sure. We don't want to hold you guys up because we want you to get to uh, yeah, the one and only. The one and only Desmond Child. And uh, boy, what a gentleman, a legend who's written for and produced for Alice Cooper. We've, we've run down the list. Joan Jett, uh, Bon Jovi, Aerosmith Kiss, and so yeah. many more. And uh, here is part two. Are you ready? No, oh, this segment. I'm ready. Yeah. Uh, are you? Oh, I, I, wait, hang on, hang on. Seg- wait, wait, wait. Now I'm ready. Oh. I always do that. I don't know. <laughs> but this was a segment where he uh, revealed to us that he is working with Alice. Yes, yeah. On a, and a really there's cool going thing. to be a, another Alice Desmond collaboration mm-hmm. coming out in the next few months. So. And that's going to, yeah, he said the early part of uh, 2021. Yep. How cool. I, I'm so pumped. I'm so yeah. ready for this. And as we're going into Desmond Child, here's a track from Desmond Child Live I Hate Myself for Loving You. Perfect. That's your overhead right. to write a song. 
so, you know, I, I had to explain that, you know, a song of, that I collaborated on um, with John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora, a song we, we all know and love, oh, yeah. Living on a Prayer, yeah. Living on a Prayer, <laughs> it had gotten half a billion downloads that year. This was like a few years ago. I'm not sure what it's, the numbers it's doing now, but it seems like I hear it everywhere. Mm-hmm. And my take-home pay was $6,000. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. My son's college with the dorm and food is 80000 a piece. Yeah. Jeez. I'm yeah. spending my life savings to, keep, to send them to, you know, college. And so it's like, you know, how can somebody decide to make music their career if that's what you get right. for half a yeah. billion streams. Massive hit, yeah. And and so imagine somebody that that doesn't have half a billion streams. Maybe they have twenty thousand streams. What is that? Oh that's not even one penny. Right. So we can't this is not a workable thing. So thankfully you know, one of the most beautiful things that happened during the, you know, this last four years was that the entire um, legislature, the Republicans and the Democrats, together, without an exception, nobody dropped out. It was a 100% participation uh, passed the Music Modernization Act. And they sent it to the president, and he, you know, signed it, you know, like the seismograph signature mm-hmm. um and <laughs> <laughs> um and that was like a, a fantastic that's the way it should be yeah. they all worked on it together there were there were incredible people on both sides of the aisle that saw the need to help the, you know guess what they all love music exactly yeah <laughs> and they all realized that you know they had to do something because um, if if people aren't encouraged to to have it as a career and make new music, all you'll be listening to is living on a prayer. Wait a second, that's not a bad idea. What am I'm like arguing against myself? What the heck? Yeah, we need to learn uh, the story of Tommy and Gina. I mean, Tommy and Gina, you know, they never back down. I mean. <laughs> Exactly. Well, the the beautiful thing about the writing of that song, uh, you know, I I think Living on a Prayer was the second song we wrote. The first song was You Give Love a Bad Name. And then uh, we we got together and John uh, Bon Jovi said, you know, I want to write a story song about a working class couple. So in his mind, he was talking, he was thinking about his friends from high school that had gotten married young uh, Bonnie and Joe, and Richie was thinking about his parents. He still was living at home in New Jersey, and um, so he was thinking about how hard his parents worked to keep, you know, making ends meet. And I was thinking about the the time that I lived with Maria in their little apartment on East 81st Street, and we were together four and a half years. And uh, you know, I was writing songs. I was going to NYU. On weekends, I'd drive a cab and all this kind of stuff. And she worked as a singing waitress at a place called Once Upon a Stove. And uh, they gave her a, a special, like, waitress name. 
and the, it was Gina Velvet. Mm. And so when we started writing the song, I suggested Johnny and Gina because it had alliteration, J, J, Johnny and Gina. And John said, I can't sing Johnny because that's my name. People think I'm, people will think that I'm singing about myself. Mm. And so we just stood there for a second and I think he said, Tommy, Tommy and Gina. Mm. And so, uh, that's collaboration, you know, so Tommy was sort of like a sound alike for Johnny. And so, uh, that's how Tommy and Gina were born. That's so cool. That's amazing. Yeah, it's so cool. That's awesome. What the, what the, how much did the Warriors movie play into your – was that a big deal? Well, the song on the Warriors soundtrack was called uh, Last of an Ancient Breed. That's it. And it was written specifically for the movie. And right. Desmond Child and Rouge, we were the, the act that performed it. Um, you know, so um, and that was really fun because it, it started giving me the idea that I could write to order, not just write what was – you know, in my heart. And so that had, had served me very well. So it, it's amazing, you know, just like things like that that I've been a part of, you know, have become cultural touchstones. That movie is like crazy cult. Oh, it's huge. It's like yeah. the biggest. Massive. Oh, yeah. And so, um, you know, it that's how it that's how it went and you know to this day like people are 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 mentioning it to me and sending me copies of the uh soundtrack for me to sign and send back to them and all of that you know so it's really it's really really cute <laughs> yeah i just watched that the other that's a great movie it's it's uh that's a classic cult classic if you ever if you ever had one yeah is that where you, oh, yeah. is that where you like does that like kind of launch you into meeting Paul and stuff around that time, or Paul Stanley? Well, before our first album came out, we were playing a, a and we were just getting signed to Capitol Records. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Desmond Child and Rouge would play a little club called Tracks on the Upper West Side. It was like oh, underground, yeah. and T R A X. And so uh, Paul came and uh, he hung out with us backstage. Um, you know, at some point, you know, he said, hey, why don't we try writing a song together? And so uh, I said, okay, well, um, if you write a song with me for our our group, then I'll write a song with you for your group. So the song he co-wrote with me, David Landau, is a song called The Fight. Mm. And um, the song that I co-wrote with him uh, it's called um, I Was Made for Loving You. Yeah. So yeah, I think yeah. I think I got a better part of that bargain. <laughs> you did, man. That was, yeah. my, that was my first 45 record I ever bought, Desmond. Yeah. So good. And uh, But actually, we, we recently went through, you know, my catalog. I, I've written over 20-something songs with Paul Stanley okay. uh, through the course of, you know, 30 years. You know, for a solo record, for this and that. Remember, uh, um, to win, you know, (laughs) on South Park, on South Park. How cool was that? Yeah, that was, (laughs) I did not see that coming. That was one of my favorite, um, solo albums. Well, the only, the second solo album that Paul did, but I, yeah, that was one of my favorite, uh, songs. And 
Um, yeah, I, I've been a huge fan of yours and a huge fan of Paul Stanley's and, and the stuff you've done together is just dynamite. It's so good. And I, I just yeah. think poor Gene, though, because, you know, he, Gene always says, I don't really like going, do, 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 do. <laughs> I think, no, but he gets paid handsomely to do it, so I'm sure Gene's not complaining too much. <laughs> no, he he never liked a song because he never was a fan of, of, of R&B music or, you know, like disco music or anything like that. And so, you know, he had a kind of very pure vision of, you know, this kind of metal rock that they had been, you know, inventing. Uh, and, um, you know, but <laughs> ironically, I Was Made For Loving You is, is pretty much one of the, the biggest songs uh, that they're identified with, and it's, it's their biggest international song yeah. um, uh, of all time. And so um, it's sometimes when you add, like, elements from other styles of music it can magic can happen like on on um you give love a bad name and um living on a prayer the bass lines were like r&b bass lines yeah you know right and so there was there was always with bon jovi a groove between tico who's cuban like me and you know the grooves that he would put into the drums and the bass lines, you know, you had underneath a real R&B, you know, kind of Latin feel underneath. I mean, it's subtle, but I think it was just enough to make them that much more different than um, than everyone else. Then, of course, everyone tried to copy them, and then, you know, that's as it happens. It's, you know, they say imitation is the highest form of flattery. But um, the the music that Bon Jovi made changed the course of pop music. Oh, that's good. And and to this day, you know, the that music is is like new generations are discovering it almost like it's their their music. It's their song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you go to a Bon Jovi concert, you see people of all ages. You know, you see you know people with white hair, and and. <laughs> <laughs> and those aren't those aren't the punkers. I'm talking about their grandparents. Right, right. And you will see, you know, they always play "Living on a Prayer" last. It's the yeah. very last song of the very last encore. It could be midnight in a stadium. Yeah. No one will leave without hearing that song. They know it's coming. That's and right. um, you know, and it's so thrilling because. You know, I've been to so many Bon Jovi concerts, and you're standing there. I don't even look at the stage. I just look around at the people that know every lyric to the songs I've collaborated with, you know, yeah. with them on. Oh, and um, when Living on a Prayer comes on, the roar of that crowd, you oh, know, man. and, like, there'll be parents there with, like, little kids sleeping on their shoulders with, the you know, the, the sound block earphones. Uh-huh. And they'll be standing there, you know, with their kids because they won't go home until they hear that song. And then when that song comes up, you cannot hear the band anymore. All you hear is this roar. With all of those those speakers, you don't hear the band. You just hear people screaming it at the top of their lungs like their life depends on it. Yeah. Now, that's... That's something you cannot do on a Zoom call. 
<laughs> okay. Too many people would hit that. Has to be in, that has to be in person, babe. Half the, half the people would be on mute by accident. <laughs> You'd have to dump in the audio. You'd have to mix it in. <laughs> um, I, I was wondering, yeah, when I was in college, I mean, that was the song that, you know, you, like, you knew, okay, time to go home. You, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here, you know. Uh, but it was, and, and it's just, it was just an anthem, you know. I don't know. It was awesome. <laughs> well, I, you know, because I'm I'm on the board of ASCAP, and I just like when it's a, like where where does Living on a Prayer perform a lot? You know, they said, well, actually, it's the number one song played at uh, bars and strip joints, you know, <laughs> in New Jersey at the end of the night. At the end of the night. That's that's when they flip the the lights on. You know, and push everybody up because they know when the song starts, everybody jumps up. So that they use that as like, okay, lights up, get out. You know. <laughs> 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 so uh, you know that yeah, like some people call "Living on a Prayer" the national anthem of New Jersey. Mm. Okay, I've never heard that, but I, I I can see it though. I can see that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Last, last summer, I don't know if you, uh, when was it where people in Chicago were singing it out the windows? Like the whole city went crazy singing it. Oh, that's it. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. That's right. Cool. So that's the lovely thing about something that moves people so much. I, You know, I remember once getting a letter from a guy who had decided, you know, that he he couldn't live anymore. He was going to kill himself. So he drives to the bridge, and he has, the, you know, leave, just jumps out of the car, leaves the car on, radio on, and so he goes and he starts leaning, like, towards jumping, and living on a prayer comes on. The radio, he can hear, and he goes, oh, fuck, that's my, that's my, that's my favorite song. So he goes back in the car saying, okay, well, you know, sort of like, you know, the last, you know, your your last meal or whatever before you kill yourself, before they kill you, whatever. He said, I'm going to, you know, listen to Living on a Prayer. That'll be my last song, and it's, you know, because it's my favorite song. By the time it got to the modulation, he drove home. Wow. Oh. So, Bon Jovi saves lives. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Bon Jovi saves lives. You know, I, I'm just telling you. I mean, you don't know the countless letters that we've gotten from people that said that song got them through cancer, through divorce, through the death of of, of loved ones, um, through, through you know through all kinds of difficulties, losing their job, uh, and so it's a song that has hope. It's all about hope, you know. And in these times, you know, we have to keep you know. Uh, my husband always keeps saying to me, "Think about you what you want, not what you don't want." And so we if we have to live with hope in our hearts and in our minds, and constantly be be envisioning, you know, where we're going, which is a you know a, a world that's so much better than before. Because now we've really all had a chance to face death in the face and really organize our priorities. And, 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 and think about who do we love? Who do I want to spend time with? With whatever time I've got left. And when I'm with them, how, 
what am I going to give them? How am I going to show them my love? You know, which is, you know, we don't know what happens, but we know that the love that you give in your life and all the ways that we show it is the only thing that remains. Amen. So true. Yeah, I mean, it's, we've been through it now unlike any, almost any other time in world history, certainly in our lifetime. I mean, my gosh. Oh, boy. Um, you know, and that's why we're just so grateful, Justin, for the music you've done. I mean, you know, that you've, you've written songs that have, like you said, I mean, you said it yourself, have touched so many people, have pulled people back from the brink, I mean, saved lives, and, and, uh, and, and even got some politicians to, you know, agree in a bipartisan sense, you know what, we need to, we need to treat our artists fairly. I mean, music, music's just, that's why Shane and I do this show, you know. Music brings everything together. I mean, it's just, it's that, yep. it's a special thing, you know? It's, I love it. Me too. You know, music's played everywhere we go, and it's the thing that helps us take the edges off of life. Yeah. Can you imagine going into a, a nice restaurant and all you hear is like glasses clinking and the ticking of like silverware? Oh, yeah. Nope. <laughs> I mean, it'd be deadly. You would never want to go there again. No, not at all. So, you know, that's why, um, you know, we have organizations uh, that are performance rights organizations. In this country, we have four, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, and GMR. Mm-hmm. And they go out there and... You know, people pay so little. You know, it's so crazy. Like a restaurant that could have thousands of people all year, and who knows how many, all year long, they pay like almost nothing for the right to play our music nonstop. And, you know, still there, there are lobbies out there that wanted so they wouldn't have to even pay the $300 they're paying, which is like less than a dollar a day for all the music you would ever want to hear. That helps them so much sell the food, sell romance, sell the reason to go to their beautiful restaurant. And so, you know, if, you know, there should be like a special day. It's like, listen to the music day and count how much music you're listening to. Turn on the TV, turn on sports. You know, I have the, the Sunday night, um, football theme that I co-wrote with Joan Jett. Uh, that Carrie Underwood sings. Um, it's an it's an interpolation of "I Hate Myself for Loving You." It's so it's so exciting, and you know, you know, they kept the the second verse the same. It's like, "Hey, Jack, it's a fact that you know all that." It's like so great, and it's it's very sweet for me because I was the first producer of Carrie Underwood. Um, I produced her for uh, American Idol, um, a song. Uh, by Martina McBride called Independence Day that was on the on the um, Star Buster album I forget what what they what they called that album but um, you know I was producing all the people in the in the show and then I got a chance to produce her first number one called Inside Your Heaven and so you know I remember you know early in the days they they kind of were trying to make her into a cross between Kelly Clarkson and Mariah Carey because she can actually sing all these amazing R&B riffs, right? Oh, yeah. And I, I said, is that what you really want to do? And she looked at me. I mean, she's like an angel. And she said, my heart is in country music. I said, then only do country music. Move to Nashville. Only do country music. 
I had to get set up with my friend Mark Bright, who produced Rascal Flatts, because uh, she loved Bless the Bro- Broken Road that he uh, produced. And um, it's like the rest is history. He, you know, he produced Jesus Take the Wheel and all of that. And it's like she's true to herself. And then the circle is complete when she's singing my song on Sunday Night Football. How great is that? It's amazing. Yeah, it's great. And, and, and your sons are watching. They probably have a team, right? You, you said the doctor. You know. Oh my God! I don't. I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know. <laughs> the, whole, the whole there's something for the whole uh, child family, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They make so much fun of me because it's like I I don't really know the you know sports. Right. And the lingo of it. I was too busy, you know, trying to be a rock star. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing, you're doing, you were doing your thing. They're doing, doing good. Thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm, I would just so love if everyone went on to YouTube and listened to uh, the new lyric video of Lady Liberty. Yes. Uh, it turned out so great. We, uh, Barbara and I spent days, you know, back and forth, uh, you know, perfecting every image and, um, the way, you know, the, the images go with the lyrics. And it's very moving and, you know, I would just love it, um, if, if y'all just, you know, like, took a moment, cause it's very, it's like a prayer, that song. You know, it's a prayer to liberty. Yeah. It's a prayer of hope for our country. And so I'm very, very proud of the song, and I'm, I'm like, thrilled that uh, we've put it out now, you know, with just, you know, days before the election, you know, to remind people that that we are one people. Mm-hmm. We are one people. And that's the only way that we're going to succeed in on the global stage. Amen. Desmond Child, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for this this track that you did with Barbara Streisand, and like you said, so timely and just an appeal to the human condition. And and uh, we're very thankful for yet again another uh, another one of your important musical messages. Thank you so much, and and next year when I have my book and Alice Cooper, let's yeah. talk again. We will. Yeah.
yeah, Desmond Child with Dude Looks Like a Lady, the cover of the Aerosmith song that he did with them on Permanent Vacation. This version on Desmond Child Live released last year, a great live collection. Yeah, fun concert. Uh, it's amazing what he's done. Mm -hmm. It really is. Yeah. All across the board, I mean, does his own little, Yeah, he does his own little versions yep. of Sorry for interrupting there. No, no, you're fine. Is yeah. that a knife? Oh, <laughs> Steve, I, I just... I didn't, mean to tread, I didn't mean to tread on it. No, I just, what are you talking about? <laughs> That's all right. We're done. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> Child, such a, a sweet guy, and and just he has loads of stories. And what's great is, definitely, you know, you'd expect they call him hitmaker, the hitmaker to the stars. And you know, you'd think that um, somebody who's written that many hits. I mean, I think half of the massive hits of the '80s, right? You know, uh, '70s and '80s, really. Every other song. Yeah, every other song. You'd think they'd be. I don't want to say arrogant, but you know, they they'd have a higher Arab of themselves. You know what I mean? But he's just so so down to earth, down to earth and chill. Absolutely. Yeah, he loves his husband. He loves his kids. Yeah, so great some kids. Great, and, great yeah. stories about his kids. Yeah, great really, family. Yeah, really enjoyable. Yeah, and uh, we really hope you enjoyed uh, us talking to Desmond. We're gonna come back to Desmond uh, in a couple of months. Yeah. Uh, once the record comes out, the Alice Cooper project. Uh, yeah. He agreed to talk with us again. Yeah, we cannot wait. We can't wait. Mm -hmm. We really can't. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so we've got, uh, we also have uh, part two of Bruce Sudano. We'll get to that in a little bit. Want to hit some records uh, first? We can do a little sure. record action and uh, see what's popping there. Because, you know, you, you had me, last, you, you were right last week when you were talking about the White Snake collection. I said, oh, yeah. that's it. I, I was so pumped and so <laughs> ready for it. Uh, but he, I never know what he has, so it's always a surprise to me, too. Well, you folks. remember the Thin Lizzy thing I was talking about? Yes, yeah. But I I waited. Yeah? You can't even find the thing. You can't find it anywhere. For under 400 bucks. Oh, my gosh. It's, it sold out, like, in a day. Wow. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't really, I guess, read the fine print. Mm. Didn't realize that it was that limited. Wow. And it's, it's gone. I just like that. I will never hear it, so. Wow. Unless it just shows up on my doorstep. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? Because you got it for me for Christmas. <laughs> you rascal, you. Hey. No, uh, uh, yeah. So, by the way. Uh, <laughs> well, I missed that but one, But speaking no. of another yeah. ultra rare, uh, almost annoying when when stuff is like this. Because mm -hmm. just release the stuff. Right. I'll put it don't out. Make it, yes. Don't make it so difficult for. Yeah. And I'm starting to wonder if that's what the Thin Lizzy release really was. Mm -hmm. They just want to get it out. Mm -hmm. So. They don't lose the rights to the music. Right. I don't know. But uh, Rolling Stone just dropped an article uh, this uh, was it this morning or yesterday morning, but this week. Bob Dylan just released the ultra-rare 1970 George Harrison se mm. sessions without any warning. Wow. And uh, we can get into talking about this afterwards or after Bruce or whenever you want to talk about it. But a lot of artists are having to do this in order to hang on to the rights to their right. songs their songs have a they time out mm -hmm. and if if they're not uh, either released they kind of go into like a free domain right i was gonna say like so the public domain yeah. yeah yeah the public domain and it it will avoid uh legal legal bootlegs mm -hmm. which there are on the on the uk amazon and talking heads rush mm. aerosmith anything you can think of 
is very easily available. And a lot oh. of these are soundboard recordings. They pop up. They're up there for a couple of weeks or mm -hmm. a month. And then they're gone. Mm. And they're legit. I yeah. mean, they're not legit from the band. The band isn't making a dime from it. Right. But some people in Europe are putting them out from Italy or Greece or the UK or Germany or Russia. A lot of them are coming from Russia now. Wow. And uh, to avoid this from happening, Dylan officially... Uh, dropped it and it's kind of interesting how he did it a tiny number of people got this set it, it came wow. out on sunday this past sunday it was a three disc collection of songs cut in 1970 and he he apparently recorded some sessions with george harrison they're very in demand <sighs> um and it was quietly put on sale at the uk store badlands <clears throat> that's it they didn't it wasn't it it wasn't an HMV. It wasn't a Virgin. I don't that's even amazing. know if they're I mean, even around that's anymore. That's incredible, anyway, yeah. They, they just put it at some tiny little UK store, and uh, boom. And it basically, the quote is, this release is strictly limited to one unit per customer, the store wrote. Uh, extremely limited release. It will sell out instantly. Thank you, and best of luck. Wow. It's called Bob Dylan, the 50th Anniversary Collection, 1970. I mean, what a, what a, a, a combination right there. Yeah. And Rolling Jeez. Stone goes on to say, and I quote, this collection was released in response to a European law stipulating that recordings enter the public domain 50 years after their creation if they aren't officially released by the copyright holder. Mm. To avoid legal Bob Dylan bootlegs from flooding the market, his camp has released yearly copyright, copyright protection releases going back to 2012 when the complete 1962 recordings came out. Many of them contain take after take of the same song, which I, I don't, it didn't really look like that to me, but I yeah. guess I believe them. Uh, yeah. Huh. They're already selling for up to $1,000 on eBay. A piece. I, I can only imagine. I mean, it's 50 years after, and can you imagine being the people who had to keep their, your eye on that kind of thing and, and work on that release? And, yeah. And, just, and getting it just right. I mean, it's not something they work on for like a week or two. I'm sure they work on that for a while, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, in some cases, I like that. Like uh, the Beatles did this uh, maybe three or four years ago. Mm. And it was awesome. It was, it, it was all these fantastic recordings of early stuff. Yeah. And they had to do it or they were going to lose it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was only released digitally on iTunes for like a couple days or a week or something. Wow. I can't remember. Huh. And I it was, I grabbed it. It was like fifteen bucks, and it was, it was scores of songs. Yeah. And uh, there's some false starts. There's some, there's definitely some outtakes, alternate takes. Mm -hmm. It's amazing, dude. It's, That's wild. But so it's cool. just, uh, it's a shame that it takes that in order to, for this stuff to get released. Pink Floyd's also done it with some very early record mm. recordings as well. Um. <clears throat> But on May 1st, 1970, Dylan and George Harrison got together and, and jammed. Mm. And they have some, uh, they did a couple of the Dylan oldies, like One Too Many Mornings mm -hmm. and it, it Ain't Me Babe, along with Yesterday, mm. which I love. That's a great here. song. Oh, Dylan God. singing Yesterday with George. Wow. It's such a different, I got to hear that with Dylan because it's such a different feel and flavor, right? Yeah. Wow. I mean, there there are bootlegs on, and a lot of this stuff is already on YouTube. And Yesterday! I'm sure it's going to show Sorry. up anyway. Uh, it was from basically <laughs> the New Morning Sessions, uh, his album New Morning, 
Uh, they were joined with session pros like organist Al Cooper, mm. Charlie Daniels. Oh, yeah. A lot of people don't know that Charlie Daniels uh, played with Dylan on... Uh, I did not know that. On well, records and on tour. How about that? Jeez. Uh, drummer Russ Kunkel. Mm-hmm. Guitarist David Bromberg. Bassist Stu Woods. And drummer Alvin Rogers. Mm. Uh, that, the collection apparently sold out in seconds. <laughs> <laughs> But will likely be available soon to enterprising fans familiar with the word world of BitTorrent. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's already up. Wow. But uh, some of the songs I can't help but wonder where I'm bound. Universal Soldier. Spanish is the Loving Tongue. Went to see the Gypsy. Woogie Boogie. Uh, Thirsty Boots. I always thought that was a great name for a song. <laughs> that actually is or on. A band, that's, yeah. I, I forget what album that's on. I guess it's New Morning. Little Moses, Alberta. Come all you fair and tender ladies, things about coming my way, uh, an un untitled 1970 instrumental, come a little bit closer, Alberta again, sign on the window, time passes slowly, song to Woody, mama you've been on my mind, and that's just disc one, mm. so I, wow. Yeah, it's, that's amazing, man, that's, that's some collection. gold. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's that's just gold. I mean, that's those are gems right there, you know? Yeah. But another legacy artist, Diamond Dave, mm -hmm. uh, David Bowie, mm -hmm. uh, is trying to resolve this as well. These aren't, obviously, 50-year-old recordings, right. but uh, he's giving to his fans uh, this holiday season. He started up a series. It's really, really cool. It's mm -hmm. called Brilliant Live Adventures, and uh, the stuff started popping up around the end of October. Um, pardon me, I don't know how to say this, so I'm just going to say where. Mm -hmm. The first live album to be released was uh, Live Dallas 95. Okay. On CD and 2LP. Uh, that came out on, on Halloween. And uh, it's going to be six Bowie live albums from mm. the 90s. Oh, my God. Wow. I feel like I've talked about this before. Dude, you mentioned something briefly, yeah, but this is, yeah. this is uh, actually two, happening now. Two of yeah. them are out. Um uh, the, the one in Dallas in 95, and then uh, another one, um, everything's in French, <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of hard to read, but uh, one was for the, oh, what what tour was that? Oh, the Outside Tour, he, he did an album, okay, yeah. he did an album with Eno, mm. and I think Trent Reznor was also involved with his record. Okay. And, Is that the uh, I'm Afraid of Americans era? Yes. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. And he... Um, the one tour is from that, and I think the other tour is from around the same same time. I can't remember exactly if it was Black Tie, White Noise. Mm. But uh, it's uh, it was recorded by Steve Gass. The musicians are David Bowie, um, Carlos Alomar, longtime uh, rhythm guitarist for Bowie, mm -hmm. uh, Reeves Gabriels, who's now with The Cure, Galeon Dorsey on yep. bass. Who we'd Trying love to, bring... to talk to. I know. We've been... Trying Reaching to bring Gail on the show yeah. so bad. Oh, I know. Philly girl, and we're a Philly show. Local legend, yeah. Uh, Zachary Alford, uh, Peter Schwartz, who uh, I think Schwartz did some stuff with Eno. George Sims on vocals, and Mike Garson mm. on piano and keyboard. Um, but it's just a great, it's a good batch of songs. Yeah. Stuff from uh, his late 70s records, stuff from his mid-90s records, uh, stuff from way back in the late 60s. Uh, and some from his first album, The Man Who Sold the World. Um, it is amazing, and he does an incredible, and this is what 
I'll just bring this one because I have this this album. I, I I got I ordered this on CD. Mm. Uh, the records. I, I my bank's broke after four <laughs> record store days in a row. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Uh, but Gail Ann Dorsey does a duet with Bowie on "Under Pressure." Oh, man. And it's just fantastic. Mm, it's such uh, a great. I mean, it's such a great song. They do yeah. a really neat, different version of it, and. Uh, it's got to be heard, so yeah. But the the deal is, they're also selling on on Bowie's uh, DavidBowie.com website. They're selling these boxes to house them in, so you get the releases. That's a cool. And you also, if you order the box, so it's kind of like you're building your collection. That's the kind of thing where if you have shelves of records, you put the box on like the top of the shelf or yes. something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I have a Bowie box set five years. Uh, that came out when uh, he released his uh, the first first five years of his career, mm. and it's one of the most unbelievably. I mean, there's a song on there that's not mm. just freaking brilliant. Yeah. Oh, just it's hard to believe it's been five years. Uh, yeah. You well, know. he uh, we talked in about January. This, yeah. yeah, our special show coming up. Yeah, and I can't. We can't wait to do that show for oh, you guys. No, I'm so be, excited, we have yeah. a lot of people. Uh, some exclusive interviews that we have not shared mm -hmm. and some we already have but you're going to hear them all together mm -hmm. and us paying tribute to David Bowie yeah. on, the, on the fifth anniversary of his death mm -hmm. and uh, he's one of my favorite artists I know oh yeah I'm just and I, I just he's timeless to me I mean I you know the Ziggy Stardust I, I love the 70s stuff especially you yeah. know uh, and it, it, very original even in the 80s too when everything started everything had more of a corporate sound he still had you could tell he was in control of everything he was doing, and he yeah. didn't want to just be like everything else out there. You know, yeah. yeah. I mean, we we talked to everybody from Bruce Sedano, Steve Kilby, mm -hmm. Rob Halford, D. Snyder. Yeah. Uh, most recently, Martin Page. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's amazing how many lives and musicians' lives he's touched. Yeah, I mean, for and these are like I want to say these are gods yeah. worshiping the the musical yeah. god. Yeah. You know. I mean, these are like when they're legends. saying that they're, when they're saying legacy, when they're saying that they're a legacy artist. Yeah, they're a legacy. Artist. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, Gail, if you're out there and you ever hear this, perchance, just by happen to stumble on the show, um, slide us a message. What do they say? DM is that what the kids say? And DM at, at Rock Nations. DK. We would love to talk yeah. to you uh, and pick your brain. Absolutely. What it was like playing with David Bowie for mm -hmm. over 25 years, mm. and uh, just an incredible cover and. Yeah. I just check it out. I mean, mm -hmm. that, that's my. Uh, I'm only going to do those two this week. One is impossible to find, and we most likely will never find it mm. in physical form. But you you can probably get it uh, illegally mm -hmm. on the internet, <laughs> which and, we uh, would not advise. The other uh, one you can buy directly but... from from Bowie's uh, website. So mm. we can put food on a mon's table. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, you know it. No, you got, yeah, I always like to buy those things the right way. But no, it's, uh, I mean, that's just, that's that's the collection I have. Oh, I love these collections that are coming out. Yep. So I have two. There's four coming out. I think one's on its way. Bowie also did a wonderful job with uh, Tony Visconti remixed uh, his, his first solo album, The Man Who Sold the World. Mm. And uh, it got a new name because its original title was called the Metrobolist. Mm. Or Metro, I don't know how to say the word. Metro, B-O-L-I-S-T. Uh, very interesting. They they did a limited run, mm -hmm. uh, a black vinyl. And then people were ordering it. And they started finding other colored vinyl 
and mm. and you know wherever they ordered it from Amazon, from the website, from mm. his site, Rhino, whoever carried it, and uh, there was, I think, eight or nine hundred pr printed of pure white. Oh my god! And there was fifty gold, like gold, gold. Jeez. Uh, they're going for unbelievable amounts of money online. What, what's the range? Like five thousand. Well, the gold ones are. I don't think I've seen any of them now oh. under a thousand. Wow. <laughs> it's like how to how to make an instant collectible. Yeah, yeah. At least a Bowie record. But the Stones have done the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, for Record Store Day Black Friday, they released a hand poured, and we talked about this. Yeah, on we the did. Show yeah, we did. Yep. Way back uh, before, because this was supposed to be released in the April Record Store Day, and it was delayed, obviously, probably because of COVID. Mm -hmm. It was a hand-poured, uh, only 900 copies released of Let It Bleed. Mm. And uh, I was very fortunate to score a copy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, it's going for funny money mm. on, on uh, online. And now I'm, I'm kind of afraid to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> but I really, really want to hear it. It's, uh, if you hold it up to the light, it has, um, I haven't even opened mine yet. Because I just got it. Um, but if you hold it up to the light, there is purple, red, mm. green. They're all different. Yeah. And uh, it's just one of my top ten albums of all time. Mm. Oh question. Absolutely. Let it bleed. But uh, this is the new thing. And I was told by numerous people uh, in the industry, in the sales industry, that this is going to, there's going to be more of this. This mm. is the big thing right now. It's mm -hmm. hand-poured editions of of releases and half speed remasters just of, such of a albums. delicate process i bet i mean the half speed remasters yeah. uh peter gabriel the police mm -hmm. uh cars i don't know how many there have been a ton of bands this yeah. just the year this year alone i gotta get in on some of that i didn't know the police did it yeah no. the police uh they had a whole box set of the half speed mm. remasters with a really cool exclusive record of unreleased material on b-sides mm. and uh it was called Flexible Strategies, that extra record. I can't remember the name of the box set, but uh, check it out. It's, yeah. It's a great way to blow your money and also get amazing sounding records. Yeah. Because a lot of these records have never been, especially the Peter Gabriel stuff. Oh, um, my God. I, got a, I scored a copy of Security because a lot of these sold out, like, immediately. Mm -hmm. Us is already going for funny money. Oh, I bet. I bet, yeah. Because I don't think a lot of people honed in on that original one. That was that's from that era of the early nineties where nobody was buying records. Right. And it was uh, all CDs, right? That one yeah. was like the first one to go. Man. But the copy I have of Security, and it's, um, it's hard to say this because the original is phenomenal mm -hmm. sounding. The new version has to be actually sounds better than the original. Wow. And you got the new one one? You got the you got the you got secured the new version one? I got the, the, the new half speed remaster of of security sounds better than okay. the original. Right, okay. Which is you know Yeah. That's an amazing record in and of itself. In and of itself, yeah. It's one it's of the really, early yeah. earliest uh all digital recordings mm -hmm. too. So So good. Yeah. Digital to analog. Yeah. But uh So I, well produced, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. But no, I I think uh just check some of the stuff out because it's it's gone and it's a little bit of frustrating and 
I've been meaning to talk about this for a little while. I'm not going to hone in on it because we got to go to Bruce, but it's getting a, a little bit of a chore trying to score this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, it's becoming a bit bit of work. Is it, it is it because be. of the the limited nature, like just the limited nature and the demand of this stuff right. is, is going through the roof. Some really good records there, and Shane, I always appreciate talking with you about it because I learned so much. Bro. I love doing, I yeah. love talking about this stuff because there's so much. Yeah, they're really uh, they're working hard. They're getting it out. This. They want they want the world to hear this stuff, and uh, you just got to like you said, it's frustrating. <laughs> it's frustrating, but you got to move quick. Yeah, and as Jason said, you know, earlier this year. Uh, Jay Sonica, our record store owner and mm -hmm. correspondent, mm -hmm. more people are getting into music this year because we were homebodies. Yeah. And what better way to spend a day than sitting around listening to vintage vinyl? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the demand the demand is just massive right now. Yeah, sure is. So uh, a demand uh, is massive there. And, you know, I think from our last show, I realized the demand is uh, massive for people wanted to hear from these songwriters. You yeah. know, we had, of course, uh, part two of um, Desmond Child. Now we've got Bruce Sedano, of course, the um, husband of the late, great Donna Summer, her collaborator, producer as well. And he takes us really, he goes deep into the New York sound and everything, uh, as, of course, we've talked to him about his new record, uh, Spirals uh, Volume 2. Right. Uh, but uh, this is this was a great chat. Yeah, from Brooklyn, uh, was there during the... The era. The crux of it, yeah. Like, the, the <laughs> pinnacle, right? Yeah, punk, disco, you had it all. Mm -hmm. And he had a front row seat. And he has some amazing stories from the studio. He's got Casablanca Records. Amazing, amazing stories from uh, his his late wife's career. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just a joy. And, and, and talking about his new music, uh, you can really, really hear the passion that he has for making music. Yeah. And he's really kind of... And being aware. He discovered himself almost in a way. Mm -hmm. You know, after she passed, he uh, obviously had to go through the grieving period. Yep. And now he's finding himself again. And it's yeah. just so cool to hear somebody do that, you know. Yeah, he talks about a new love in his life, too. Uh, you know, as he has reignites this love for music and, and the socially conscious aspect of it, I think. Yeah. Which is, like we said earlier, so timely. Yep. So what do you say? Let's check out part two, Bruce Sudano. And as we head into the interview, here's Bruce Sudano with For the Sake of Humanity. There's a razor ripping through the open sky. There's a river overflowing on the rise. The window I see syncopated time on the fly. Woo! It's a high wire act with no net for us all. And we live with the subtle fear of the trip and fall into some place that we've never been before. In the shadow Ooh. The system broke That much is clear And the ugly truth is all too real People gotta come together Really need to 
Are you talking about like the late sixties, early seventies? Yeah, yeah, late sixties, seventies, early seventies, moving into yeah. Well, <clears throat> so you know, it, it kind of went from you know, I grew up playing clubs in uh, the New York area, so th- this was my background was having bands and playing clubs, high school, college, all that straight through, uh, until. Um, uh, uh, until the early 70s, and, and then, and it was a great club scene. It was a great time for bands. Uh, this was kind of before discotheques. And, uh, I mean, discotheques at the time was something that was something that happened in Paris or something, you know. But all of the clubs uh, in the New York tri-state area, most of them had live music in those days, which was, which was really great. And uh, so there was plenty of work for bands to be had, and and. Uh, um, as it got into like around 1973, uh, discotheques started coming into New York at the same time, and, and a, a small transition started taking place. And where, you know, I, I would be working clubs in Manhattan, and get off working at the club at three o'clock in the morning, and then go to a, a discotheque until six in the morning. Uh, and uh, you know, back in those days, I, I uh, my band for a while was a, a house band at a place called the Electric Circus, which was this uh, big, you know, club in, in Manhattan that was basically, uh, you know, kind of based on a psychi- psychedelic theme, you know, of, of the late 60s, uh, and then ultimately evolved into a disco. Um, but uh, it, w- it was a fun time. It was a great time for music. Uh, it was a great time for R&B music. It was a it was a great time for songwriting. Um, uh, you know, for, for me, uh, I, I always like to uh, blend um, genres. So I, I was always, you know, I was always like to write songs that had uh, a, a potent lyrical uh, point of view. I, I never really liked to write uh, like sort of like. Uh, Love songs, uh, and and, and, um, and so I, I would always try to, you know, and musically I would try to combine genres as well. So if I, if, you know, a little bit of rock with a little bit of R and B, and and to walk that fine line. And it and it's funny because, um, well, it's not it's not funny, but it's interesting, you know, the, the, the record companies 
for both my bands, both Alive and Kicking and Brooklyn Dreams, the biggest complaint that they always would have with both those bands were is the way they would put it was that we weren't fish nor fowl, meaning that, you know, we, they couldn't really call us a, a rock and roll band. They couldn't really call us uh, an R&B band, and they really couldn't call us a pop band. So we kind of fell into this no man's land, uh, 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 which made it difficult for them uh, to promote us. Um, uh, but you know, uh, I'm, I'm you know I'm very proud of the work that uh, I did with a lot of people, and especially Brooklyn Dreams. Yeah. Um, that that was a really uh, very good creative time. Amazing stuff. I, talk about. Uh... Uh, a lot of people may not know this. Uh, you wrote Ball of Fire for Tommy James and the Shondells. What, how did that come about, Bruce? Well, uh, I, um, I was the co-writer on that song, and, and that came about uh, – uh, the year was 1968, and, and uh, Alive and Kicking was the house band at a club in Manhattan called Cheetah which was uh, the Cheetah was on 52nd Street off 8th Avenue. And uh, some uh, a person that was managing uh, my band at that time was friends with uh, uh, the secretary, Tommy James' secretary or assistant at Roulette Records, and uh, somehow uh, convinced him to come down and see the band one night. And it was very convenient because he, at the time, was living in an apartment right around the corner on 8th Avenue uh, <coughs> be, uh, between 53rd and 54th. So uh, we became friends. And uh, um, so on breaks, when I had breaks on sets, I, I would, uh, sometimes with guys in the band and sometimes by myself, we would go over to Tommy's apartment and hang out and try to write songs. And, um, you know, I was a, an aspiring songwriter at, at that time. I was writing songs for, for my band, Alive and Kicking, and uh, to that point had had really had never even really been into a recording studio. Back in those days, it, it was really hard to get into a recording studio. It was expensive, and, and uh, you know, when you were just, you know, a neighborhood band, it was not really something that you could afford. So, uh, um so he afforded me. He was very gracious to me, and, and uh, so one of these nights when uh, you know we were over at his apartment, um, you know he he basically had ball fire started, and 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 um, you know just allowed me to uh, help him finish it really. Um, but he was also so gracious in that you know he. I, I would go to recording sessions, so he opened the door to the studio to me, and, and I, I, I learned so much from him about how to make a record, and, and uh, um, uh, so it was really a, a great uh, time for me, and uh, he was always uh, a very generous and, uh, to this day, a very good friend. Wow. That's awesome. That's amazing. Well, you know, he's you... somebody that I don't know why, you know, I... I I don't know why he's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, you know, you got Moni Moni, you got Crimson and Clover, you got Crystal Blue Persuasion, you got I Think We're Alone Now. I mean, he's, he's got, you know, a very, yeah. uh, you know, he, he, you know, had a very big moment uh, uh, and created a lot of great stuff. Yeah, 
So, what do you what do you think about that? What do you yeah, think yeah. of the the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I mean, there's been a lot of uh, you know, there's a lot of divided opinions. I think, I mean, because you're right. I mean, especially for songwriters and I mean, folks who have had so many massive hits, you know, that aren't in there, and then some names that are in there that, that might surprise people. I guess it depends on genres. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on on the uh, the Rock Hall itself, and just how we honor uh, musicians in general? Well, you know, it, it's interesting because, um, you know, Donna is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, and, and uh, you know, there was a, a lot of controversy about that, uh, you know, because, you know, disco was always cast as a, anathema to, to rock and roll. Uh, but, you know, the, the thing is, is that, you know, people don't realize that Donna was you know, the first female rock and roll Grammy went to Donna for hot stuff. Oh yeah. And, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and Donna was an innovator on so many levels that, you know, she was so much more than, uh, just disco, even though she was the epitome of that. But, um, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is, is a good thing. It, you know, it's there's a lot of bureaucracy that goes on there. I, I have to say that, you know, um, when, you know, Donna got nominated, uh, got inducted the year after she passed away, uh, she she was nominated the, the, the two years prior and, and didn't get in and then, you know, got in the, the year that she had passed away and, and – uh, and, you know, there's a lot of protocol that goes on there. And, and, you know, in some ways it's a business and it's a, it's a money operation. And, uh, but, you know, I mean, I think I'm glad it exists. Um, I, I think, uh, they try to do their best to cover a lot of bases. Um, and, uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes, um, they overlook some people and, uh, they, you know, allow other people in that maybe shouldn't be there, but yeah. but uh, you know, I guess it's a no-win situation. <laughs> yeah. Did you play on hard stuff too? I, I was reading. I saw because I, I mean, you're not just I mean, you're a musician too. Obviously, I mean, you play keyboards, piano. I know. Um, were you? Did you play on hot stuff and a lot of the other tracks too? <clears throat> no, I didn't. Okay. Okay. So, those tracks. Those tracks. Um, you know, Giorgio Morota and, and Pete Bellotti and, and, uh, Harold Faltermeyer, uh, Keith Forsey, you know, they had a team, yeah. um, uh, Jeff Skunk Baxter actually played, uh, the solo on Hot, Hot Stuff. I don't know if you know Jeff, but he, uh, mm-hmm. he's, uh, an amazing guitarist. You know, you might know his work from the Dewey Brothers or yeah, yeah. Billy Band or something, but but right. but Skunk is amazing and uh, he played that amazing uh, solo on Hot Stuff, and, and um, so they had a great team of musicians that that uh, they were using. Uh, uh, L.A. was uh, hot, uh, you know, a hot spot of uh, great you know musicians in those years. It was it was such a, a prime time of recording, especially in L.A. I mean. Uh, you know, it, it was back and forth between New York and L.A. in, in those days, in, in the late 70s and, and early 80s. But there were a number of studios in Los Angeles that um, were just making great records. And there there was uh, a bunch of session guys who were just uh, amazing players, amazing players. 
You know, so I always what, differentiate I, between song songwriters who play instruments and then people yeah. who are musicians that play instruments. There's there's a it's a different gifting. Right. <laughs> Bruce, yeah. what was it like to work with Giorgio? I mean, that, were you in the studio when uh, when uh, would you guys work with him, or, or were you not? Yeah, well, we, we we I've been you know uh, we were in the studio together many times, uh, and, and uh, he's uh, you know it, it's a great bunch of guys, and they're all talented. Yeah and um, super talented and all very respectful of each other's giftings. You know, that's one of, you know, one of the roles of a producer that, you know, can sometimes get overlooked is the ability of the producer to put the right team together um, and to choose the right players for the right songs and the right engineer and uh, uh uh, the right arranger for the song. So Giorgio was very adept at, at surrounding himself that with uh, people who were super talented and understood his vision and, and uh, um, were able to uh, bring his vision to life. And, and uh, so it was, but it was a really exciting time, a very creative time. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I, that energy of probably feeding off of each other must have been must have been something. I mean, uh, I think in any industry, people who do kind of the same thing, there's ways to people either make each other better, or you know, you kind of just can. It's easy to draw inspiration from a colleague, you know. But I can only imagine in songwriting what that might have been like, I and mean, with George and just others, and that kind of shared inspiration at times. Exactly. You know, I think that when um, when it's happening, there's just <clears throat> such an energy. Uh, um, within the fact that it's happening, so there's so much going on, and you know you, your records are on the charts, and you, you you're touring, and you got a TV show, and and then uh, you have a writing session, and you know, and it's all going on, and, and everybody's feeding off this energy, and uh, you know, and you wind up performing at, at a really high level, um, and. Uh, so you get a lot done uh, in, in uh, a really short amount of time, and, and uh, when you look back on a period of time, and you know, you, for some reason I kind of look back on things in, in five-year increments, generally, and and, uh, and if you, you know, if I look back to that time period of uh, you know seventy-seven through eighty, you know, whatever eighty-two, if you want to take it five years. There was a lot that happened, and, and there, there were a lot of songs written, and a lot of records made, and uh, um, a lot of shows were played. And, and um, uh, but what, what you just feed off that, en- off that energy and that whole chemistry, and ev- everybody's just functioning on. Uh, it's almost like an out of body experience, you know. And then, uh, and then one day you get to a point where you realize where it's like, okay, you know what? You know, let's put the brakes on a little bit here because uh, we've been going really fast for quite a while. <laughs> so, uh, you know, yeah. you know that you know some people don't make that adjustment, and and uh, fortunately we were able to. You think we'll ever have a time like that, um, like that era 
um, it just, it's such, I, mean, I don't know, to me, like, I'm a little bit younger, but it still inspires me, you know, like, cause it feels like there was so much, so much of an original nature to music. And not, not that there isn't now, but it, it feels different, you know, it feels like maybe a little more process into the newer stuff. Uh, I don't know. Do you think we'll ever just have that, that, um, that great, um, birth? Organic. Original. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Do you think we'll ever have that again in that same way? Kind of hard to say, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I hope so. You know, I, 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 my feeling is that, um, you know, music will always have a place in, in, in life. You know, um, I think that, um, you know, there will all, people will always be creating great things. Um, but right now, I don't think music has the focus that it had then. You know, there's many more things that distract us now, and and uh, uh, so I think the role, you know, in, the, in you know, music was the center of the universe during those years for a whole generation of people. Uh, it was the focal point, you know, and, and uh, I, I don't think it's the focal point right now. Uh, but I also, but that doesn't mean that great things aren't being made right now. It's just that it, you know, it's not the focal point. And, and also, um, just within the music world of alone, because of technology and, and the way things function now, there's just a lot more, um, uh, I don't, for lack of a, I don't, noise sounds like the bad, a bad word, but I'm just using it to general, there's a lot more noise. You know, there's much more product out there. People, you know, can everybody can write a song and everybody can put their song out. And uh, so, so, you know, it's a completely different time. Will we see another time like that in music again? Maybe, you know, maybe. Why not? Um, yeah. You know, things happen in cycles. It was the roaring 20s. <laughs> 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 the 40s and 50s. That's right. <laughs> maybe we'll have the... Uh, the uh, the thrilling 30s. Who knows? <laughs> the, the 80s were amazing. The 80s were amazing. Maybe the fashion debatable, yeah. <laughs> but the, you can't beat the. I mean, I, I don't. I love that era. The early 80s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Early, yeah. What? Bruce. Yeah, it's it's uh, great times. Is there a songwriter, uh, Jimmy Webb, David Bowie, Chris Christopherson, somebody who really uh, you always aspire to be like? Uh, somebody that really influenced you? Um, I would I would say uh, Bob Dylan and John Lennon. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Don't get> a... <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Why not set the bar high? Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. But, yeah, are... no, that, Jimmy Webb's great, you know, Christopher Christopherson's great. All all of these guys are my heroes, you know. Uh, and uh, um, you know, there there are some guys out now that I really respect a lot. I, I, you know, I there's a uh, I don't know if you know John Morland. John Morland is great, and yep. and uh, 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 who, who else is there? there there's a uh, uh, so his name is uh, Kevin Martin, who I think is really awesome. I mean, I think Ed Sheeran is great. Uh, um, there's just so many people. Damien Rice I love. Oh, yeah. Um, so, 
so yeah, I mean, there, there's plenty of people writing great songs, and uh, and it's it's actually uh, it's a good time to write songs. You know, there, there's a lot there's a lot to say, and, and uh, um, you know, the thing for me that I'm really enjoying is uh, is uh, the, the freedom. You know, it's almost like I'm genre uh, free. And it's a good thing because I'm allowed to be in the folk world, and that you know um, that world is is a new world for me in terms of um, where I'm being embraced by a community that um, basically didn't know me before, and um, you know what what I did in the past wasn't part of their world and uh so i feel really um excited to be embraced by this community uh, of songwriters and artists and and activists who who uh um uh appreciate what i'm doing and, and uh respect what i'm doing and encourage me to do more of it and uh uh it's really a, a nice community a nice community to be a part of, and I'm, I'm excited to be uh, in that world. And, uh, uh, you know, and it's an interesting time for me as an artist because in many ways um, I'm walking out of the shadow of, of my past. And, and uh, so it's, 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 uh, it's especially interesting for me to observe uh, to be perceived as uh, the singer-songwriter now at this phase of my life. Um, oh, yeah. And, uh, um, you know, and, and it's, you know, people say to me, wow, it's, it's like you've reinvented yourself. And I was like, well, I don't know if it's reinvention. It's, it's kind of like I've just been walking down this road and, and uh you know, I'm I'm a big believer in uh, you know doing what's in front of you. You know, so so uh, um, you know my road just led me to this place, and uh, uh, we all have our own individual you know paths to take. So mine just happened to be to lead me to this place where at this point in my life uh, I'm becoming this guy that you know I intended to become you know, back when I was 16, you know, and yeah. uh, kind of this is just the way the road took me. So, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing yeah, thing. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, the uh, the album, uh, Spirals Volume 2, um, uh, Time and the Space in Between, um, the latest single, I think it is, uh, Keep Doing What You're Doing, is online, and it's um, it's it's a, it's a cool video. I've got, I love the kind of animation feature to it. It's 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 got a it's it's very unique. It's different. It's uh it's something very visual to, uh, with a great message too. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know that that happened because uh, Elliot Mason, who's the animator uh, of that stuff, is a friend of mine, and uh, I met him on tour uh, last year. I was on tour with uh, uh, Colin Blundstone, who's the singer from the Zombies. And we were doing a UK tour, and Elliot is his bass player. And, you know, when we would be, you know, having a, a, a beer at the bar or something, uh, he started showing me these little videos that he was creating. And 
So I basically told him on the spot, you know, I I want you to do a video for my next record because this this is going to be funny. He he has a really uh, a very comical, uh, uh, sarcastic, um, uh, but nice uh, point of view of things, you know. And uh, so and I love how his mind works. So uh, he's able to. Um, you know, take a song like "Keep Doing What You're Doing" and, and uh, uh, give it a, a different point of view. Absolutely. That's really. Is there? Are there Go ahead. Is there going to be any more uh, work from the zombies? Are you guys? Are those guys going to record anything, or are they pretty much on hiatus? Yeah, I, I mean, I I I don't uh, know for sure, but but uh, what I hear is that they are in the studio uh, working right now. And um, which which is exactly what I would expect. Um, uh, you know, the, the, they're uh, uh, super talented guys, and um, they're career musicians. And, and you know, you get to a place in your life where you know you don't have any choice because you don't know what else to do with yourself. You know, and yeah. and there's only. You know, it's like I know. I know for me, as as it is, I know it is for Rod and Colin, and, and the and the other guys in the zombies. It's that you know when you, you know, when I get too far away from uh, doing what I do, I I don't know who I am anymore. You know, so it's like uh, let me just go in the room, close the door, and uh, pick up the guitar, and uh, I'll, I'll remember who I am. You know, so. Uh, but you know you have to live a full life. So sometimes you have to go, you know, you have to go pick up the laundry and uh, go to the supermarket and hang out with your grandchildren and uh, do all things like that that I enjoy. Yeah, hip songwriters do that too. Yeah, well, you know, my my motto is keep living, keep writing. You know, you, right. you have to have something to write about, and then unless you keep living, you know, you, you have nothing yeah. to say. So uh, yeah. you have to keep. Uh, you know, stay engaged in in, uh, in, in life. So, uh, so that's it. Well, yeah. Anything right. else you guys need? No, I was gonna say. Yeah, anything I else you'd like to add. But I I have one question, Bruce, if you don't mind, because we've been doing this with sure. everybody we've been talking to. We're we're putting together a five year anniversary tribute show to David Bowie um, in January. Um, is there anything – was he ever an influence on you? Was he ever – did he ever mean anything special to you as a as a songwriter? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, somebody who uh, is an innovator, who is an artist on uh, multiple levels. And, and uh, so – uh, you can only aspire, you know, to, to, to from the stage show, show to to uh, the outfits, to the personas, to, to the music itself. Um, such great music, such uh, melodic music, such creative music, such unique music. Um, uh, um, do you know who Mike Garson is? Uh, yeah, yeah, I heard the name I, briefly. I've heard the name, yeah. Mike 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 Garson is uh, uh, the keyboard player in uh, in David Bowie's band, and uh, um, the, the 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 funny little tidbit is that Mike was my piano teacher in Brooklyn, 
back in Brooklyn. Oh, it's a small world. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yes. And, and uh, um, but yeah, um, Dave was just amazing on so many levels. And, and uh, uh, Tony Visconti is a great producer, uh, also from Brooklyn. And uh, so yeah, I, I admire all those guys and, and, and all the work. That, that Dave done and that Dave has done way back to our space houses, you know, back to the beginning. Fantastic. All right. Well, Bruce, thank you, thank so you much so much for, uh, yeah, thank you for taking the time. Uh, it's great having you. Bruce, thank, thank you, guys. Sir. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Um, if I'm, if, if I'm, if I'm ever singing anywhere where you're around, come see me, come say hi. You know, absolutely. You know. sir. Divided truth slipping through our hands, falling all in pieces on the floor. But if you're old enough to remember the incandescent sky, you'll recognize the dimming of the light. If we don't get back to the beauty of our elegant design, we're bound to die in the darkness. Sudano with American Sunset, a new song in 2020, and uh, just a, a really soulful, raw, um, acoustic, awesome mix and offer. I, I really enjoyed listening to it. it he obviously uh, he likes Tom Petty. Yeah, I was gonna say Tom Petty, and uh, it's definitely a reference. Maybe a li- like some John. Uh, John Cougar, maybe a little bit. Um, no, more so Tom Petty. I think more so Tom Petty. Yeah. I, I uh, some Nils Lofgren and some Tom Petty were mm-hmm. the first two that came to mind. I agree. But Absolutely. Bruce's lyrics are are much deeper yeah. and uh, just an amazing lyricist. Yeah, he's more direct too, direct and deep with what he's saying. You know, I mean, there's no mistaking it. You know, yeah. and his, his storytelling, his voice. Yeah. He just posted a video uh, last night mm. uh, of a new track of him singing acoustic on, on uh, I think it was Instagram mm. and uh, his uh, voice is aged really really well yeah. it's a man who's lived a life and uh, I just love that sound yeah it's amazing when you hear that and uh, I, Rachel Waters was kind of like that too on that last record yeah. you played you know Tom Waits um, yeah Tom Waits yeah it's it's just um, it's it's cool Sammy Hagar a little bit in a different way. Yeah. But I love that. I love that aging, that richness. Like a fine wine. It just, it has that, that And Bruce definitely has a he beautiful, does. beautiful voice. Yeah. Absolutely. Not comparing Bruce to Tom Waits. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. But Tom, Tom's, I, I'm a big fan of Tom Waits and I'm also a big fan of Roger Waters. Yeah. And um, man, Bruce, keep it up, man. Yeah. I mean, this, this is great. And, and this is, this is what we need right now. Music brings people together. We need that now. Uh, and the messages and what he's writing about, it just could not be more timely raising the 
the consciousness of uh, what we're dealing with from a social sense, the chaos in the world, um, the division, uh, the, you know, we need that no man is an island uh, viewpoint right now, you know, yeah. I think at least. I mean, as we're looking out from the studio here, mm-hmm. you know, watching some white papers blow down the sidewalk, yeah. uh, there's nobody out. City's yeah. dark. Uh, there's a lot of lights out in a lot of the buildings. Uh, and every now and then a car or two will drift past. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's just not the same. And, but, it's, it's and like, I, I, this, yeah. this music kind of speaks to those times. It's, yeah. we're, in a, we're in a dark place. And um, it's always really, really nice to have a voice coming from somewhere that mm-hmm. reaffirms that we're not crazy. You know, this yeah. is, we're, we're going through this together. We all are. Yeah. It's not, they're not doesn't matter who you are in this scenario rich poor whatever mm-hmm. you are going through the same thing as the next guy or exactly. the next gal and uh i i just really like his his uh, way with words and uh I, you can tell that 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 bruce is a song writer yes absolutely and and what you described that scene was just like the, it was so eerie in the beginning when the pandemic first hit that was exactly everything we were going through we were in the same studio seeing the same darkened streets maybe a car you we didn't even see one car at that point right it was uh, it was so desolate it was it was a scene like out of a movie it was just such a dystopian i think would be the word you know yeah. it was just dark and, and desolate and um and and we're yeah back into it now and uh you know all we hear about is how the winter is going to be so devastating or you know, one of the doctors uh, said recently um, in the national news, um, you know, the darkest period yet, we're thinking. It's coming. It's coming, yeah. So if we don't do everything right that we need to do, and, uh, you know, we don't want to get too deep in it, but uh, Bruce does with the songwriting, you know, and, and musicians like him. And if they can put that depth to music, it it makes it easier to digest, I think, you know? Yeah. So uh, check it out. Yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's definitely an album that's it's uh, worth your time. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the name of the record is yeah, it's uh, Spirals Volume Two: Time and the Space in Between, and uh, it's out there. It's on. I mean, this, the what I've been listening to, what we've been listening to, what we've been playing. It's been so moving. Yeah, Spirals Volume Two: Time and the Space in Between, and uh, of course uh, the tracks we played from Desmond Child that came out. About a year ago, but still great stuff. Desmond Child live, an awesome live collection. Uh, so some good music to get you through. And, and a special thanks to Bruce Sedano and Desmond Child mm-hmm. for, for coming on the show and, and talking to us. Uh, we uh, humbly appreciate you know your time. We're so honored. We're just and, honored and, to be and thank you for the, the use, use of your music yeah. and uh, the gift of your music, really. Yeah, and uh, Martin Page 2, you're going to hear so much more. You're going to hear the, the full installment of that next week. But uh, we just we had to whet your appetite a little bit. Right. Uh, and, uh, yeah, until then, take care, my friends. Sayonara. Yeah. And we leave you with an uh, amazing track from Bruce Sedano, Keep Doing What You're Doing. That's right, from Spirals Volume 2, Time and the Space in Between. Enjoy it. Because you need to. It's early in the morning when you wake me up with a hot cup of what you got. Sudden drop on the spot. I'm feeling like a baby boy in a playpen of delight. 
A happy little kid having the time of his life. Worlds away from reality. That's just fine with me. Keep doing what you're doing, baby. Doing it right. Keep doing what you're doing. Make it feel so nice. Keep doing what you're doing, baby. Keep it up all night. Keep doing what you're doing. You know what I like. What I like. Would have dreamed that I could feel this way. Miracle in the making. I'm believing it more each day. They brought us together, took us on this crazy little ride. Never would have dreamed of having the time of my life. Worlds away from reality. That's just fine with me. Keep doing what you're doing. 